Okay, guys, welcome into the USL show, and apologies for the lack of the usual intro. I don't quite have the technical chops that you get from a Kayla or an Alan, but we're still in for a good show tonight, and thank you for anyone who's uh, popping in live. So, limited panel, obviously, it's me, John, kind of hosting things, but Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? Yeah, doing solid. Excited for this uh, Phoenix, New Mexico game tonight, but... Uh, we got one more panelist to get in here. So, Phil, how about you? Yeah, good. Uh, hoping for a better, uh, a better, better luck today than uh, this past weekend, where me and my wife took a little trip up to Michigan, hope, hoping for a little like pre, pre baby retreat um, sort of thing. Like we're about a month away from from welcoming a, a new family member i guess um and so we went up to a place called grand haven michigan like on the uh on the lake and the weather was horrible so uh yeah so hoping for a a, a better some better luck uh this week you know soccer and otherwise um and uh so far so good on the weather front at least so we'll see and you have saturday to look forward to for the soccer front yep yep yeah it's uh after after the the ups and downs of the the la the final day of the Premier League, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to go in with as low expectations as possible and and go from there. Yeah, no, that was definitely a wild one in terms of the Premier League, but we also had a pretty good weekend in terms of the USL as well. Uh, as always, let's kind of start out with those told you so's. So go and kick it over to Ryan. I don't know if there was like a really big standout uh, told you so match. That one game I really had circled on my calendar was that San Antonio-Colorado Springs match that got uh, postponed as well. But I guess for um, I'm rather unfortunate, I told you so, was just that Miami continues to roll over or, or rolled over Charles. And it's just a very struggling battery team that's really just kind of disappointing to see that uh, how they've struggled for a large portion of this season. That was one of their worst home defeats, I think, since 2019 when they lost to, I think, Tampa Bay. It's just, it's a really difficult, and I know we've been kind of getting off the battery bandwagon for a while now, but it's just kind of been a disappointing season for Charleston for what should be a more, or at least putting out a better product than what they've been showing. Yeah, Charles Charleston is, I don't know, it just... When you look across that team, it just doesn't seem like it should be this bad. <laughs> and it just is. I mean, it was, there's a red card in this one, but it was 4-0 before that. So it was, you know, it, the game was was over by the time the, the red card came through. So, yeah, I don't know if there's a team that is maybe <laughs> punching below their weight quite like Charleston this year. The interesting thing, I think on two fronts, like at a macro level, you saw them bring in Augustine Williams. You saw Matt Sheldon join the team. And then they've just completely laid an egg all season long. And even against Miami, they finally kind of dumped that diamond formation they'd been doing to try and approach a Miami team that really does a lot with their wingbacks and plays with a lot of width. And it didn't help whatsoever. They couldn't really execute on that approach at all they just can't seem to catch a break in terms of like actually showing up and doing anything impressive. So, I mean, that's been a struggle, but I mean, kudos to Miami who's in pretty good form at this point. And despite some uh, injuries early on in the year, uh, Phil, you got any sort of told you so type of thing. I, I think, 
I think I have, and I told you so in terms of like, I was on the receiving end of I, many, I told you so's from both this panel and maybe like USL, <laughs> like the USL audience more broadly in that, uh, Orange County and El Paso locomotive. It, that is a, that is a match that is a draw every time there is no, like, there is no situation in which one team gets the better of the other. Seemingly it is always, there's always equilibrium um and a little bit of a a little bit of a weird one in that i thought based on how the first half played out i thought el paso's a little bit lucky to be in this and then based on how the second half played out i thought uh like missed opportunity and and el paso probably could have gotten away with with the win after the luna goal um and just a little bit of a defensive lapse uh you know uh led to to orange county's equalizer but um yeah you know the old cliche game of two halves but for whatever reason orange county and el paso locomotive are doomed to draw forever orange county is sort of another weird proposition for me where i see them play these last couple weeks they've looked really good they seem to have found a pretty solid starting 11 that's integrating Alaski, that's got kubo torres rolling and they can never get it over the line and get that result to kind of bump them solidly into the playoff field even. Like, they're kind of just lingering down in the teens in the Western standings, and there's so much parity. There are so many decent sides in the West right now that you kind of think Orange County's got to step it up at some point soon just because you've got to be passing so many other teams. What's hopeful for Orange County is that they do have two games in hand and as many as three games in hand over El Paso. At the moment, if you discount Colorado Springs, which are pretty much just so far gone from Orange County at the moment, there's still enough there left on the table that they can find themselves back into a playoff spot very quickly. They are only two points outside of a playoff spot, which is currently occupied by, oddly enough, the uh, unspoken uh, Rio Grande Valley uh, recently. Yeah, boy, I mean, Rio Grande looked, I mean, very good in the second half of that game against San Diego, at least. That was a Rio Grande team that outshot uh, San Diego in the XG of 3.06 to 1.91 per American soccer analysis. That was a truly a more dominant performance from them this year. I I thought that. I, I may have cursed it, I don't know, but I, I thought the magic had gone um, from from Edinburgh and had gone, you know, I, I thought after that, you know, Indy went down there and got a win and then it seemed like they were, they had kind of a procession of losses at home. Um, Orange County went down there and got and got a win as well. And um, yeah, this was, this felt more like the RGV at home that we've seen in the past couple of years, they were on top of proceedings. Like they made this a good loyal team look decidedly average for much of this game. Um, yeah. I think many of us wrote this off as a almost automatic three points for loyal and, and boy did RGV do quite a bit of work to prove us wrong. If you think about it two weeks ago, RGV, subtly outplayed Colorado Springs. They got a win against a kind of resurgent Monterey Bay team. And then, <laughs> I mean, they put in this performance. They're really looking good at this point. I know I put out a uh, thread about this game via RGV1 today where I was focusing a lot on Emilio Acaza. 
and just the way that he got so much more involved in attack uh, in the second half, he got my vote for player of the week, but like he got this brace. He was completely helping to shut down Alejandro Guido credit to Wilmer Cabrera for really game planning this uh, really effectively and making the changes this team needed. Um, In terms. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say he was, he was a handful at bold too. Like he was, was one of those players that felt like, Maybe he was, I don't want to say like underutilized, but he was, he always felt like someone who could make stuff happen um, and didn't get as many opportunities to do that. So maybe this is a little bit of a, of a, a mini little breakout for Ikaza as well, in terms of just like showing us what he's, what he's actually capable of versus, uh, you know, sort of the, it was kind of like a bit role that he played at, at bold, it felt. Yeah, and he got that late loan to RGV where he was pretty influential for them, like when they, I mean, snuck into the playoffs and did their thing. So, yeah, I mean, good for RGV who left all of their business late in the offseason to bring him <laughs> back and really get rolling. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of a told you so, I think just in terms of a game I picked right uh, with our pretty awful predictions from the last week, um, I did. Truly really horrifying. They're truly horrifying. I at least called uh, Tampa over Pittsburgh. Outside of this stretch in the first 15 minutes where Tampa came out a little bit slow, they really took it to the Riverhounds, who say what you will about how good they've looked against most of the East. They haven't got it done against Louisville. They looked slow against Tampa. They barely beat Detroit even. So this is a Riverhound side that, yeah, Dane Kelly hasn't been fully integrated and playing 90 minutes every single week. But I'm starting to be a little bit concerned about their viability as a team that can really do it when we get down to the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, those aren't like results you would expect to come up against really top teams in the conference. I have no doubt that Pittsburgh should be a playoff team and should very likely be that fourth team hosting a playoff spot if they can kind of keep up their form. But as you mentioned that you have a Tampa Bay and a Miami team that are catching form, even an Indy 11 team waiting outside with four wins in the last five, that could be a very tough spot that Pittsburgh can see find themselves tumbling down the table. And yeah, I mean, they were uh, a late El Paso locomotive penalty miss away from, from not getting those three points at home either. Um, and there's something, I mean, just in terms of, I think there's a little bit of a worry from a goal scoring sense, but I, I echo you, John, just in terms of like the big teams have made Pittsburgh, you know, they've, they've nullified Lily ball to an extent like Louisville was well on top. And, and likewise for this Tampa Bay, this Tampa Bay performance, they, they, yeah, dominated. Uh, and I think, the concern if you're and again, you know, Pittsburgh limiting maybe shot volume, that sort of stuff, which is like their hallmark. But this Tampa Bay side, especially in the form that they're in off the back of this, like bounce back win against Phoenix. Five shots on target is still plenty for them to deal with and and 10 total shots. So I think uh, I think, yeah, in the form that Tampa Bay is in, you know, credit to them, certainly for for overcoming some of the like kind of patchy home form that that Tampa Bay was experiencing. So I'm sure I'm sure the Rowdies faithful are are enjoying, you know, actually being able to celebrate at Al Lang. Um, but 
yeah, this this performance from Pittsburgh, I guess, was it felt like the game plan and it was picked apart too easily by by really good opposition. And you mentioned Tampa Bay being in good form through their first six games of the year. They've had seven goals in their last six games. They've scored 15. Yeah. It was just a question of kind of getting the defense right, really, where they kept giving up these bad goals. And for me, a lot of it started with the passivity and how they were pressuring opponents. They uh, interestingly benched Sebastian Guinzotti for this game and went with a forward line that was kind of made up of midfielders to an extent. They were harrying Pittsburgh and Bill. They were creating a lot of turnovers, getting out on the break in a way that made them more dangerous. And Guanzati's had a down year for sure, but that's still a bold decision to be making against such a good team. And I mean, we'd be uh, we'd be remiss even in Kaler's absence not to point out that Jake Lacava grabs the opener uh, for for your you know the first Rowdy's goal and uh, and yeah his influence in recent games has been growing pretty significantly so it does seem like uh, like they've got a lot of faith in him to to be a big contributor um, which I think you know I think this show is high on him but obviously um, it was kind of you know what role is he actually going to play in this Tampa Bay team? And it turns out he's popping up at the top end of the field. Yeah. He's a classic in the category of players whose mom follows me on Twitter. (laughs) 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 But uh, decidedly USL stat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pivoting from there. Did anyone have anything that they wanted to kind of own up on being wrong about? I, it, we didn't pick this as a game last week, but I at least want to bring up and talk about how good Mont- or Monterey Bay got a yeah. win at Louisville and shut them out away at Louisville. And <laughs> this is uh, like baffling among baffling results that we've seen up to the point in this season. Yeah, I think I think like when we talked about, you know, maybe last episode we talked about Louisville's like kind of crazy end to end weird loss to LA LA two, you know, in the vacuum that is LA two's ground of, you know, no, no fans, anything like that. Louisville. Now don't get me wrong. This Monterey Bay performance is like a study in efficiency because they have three shots in the whole game, yeah. three, yeah. three on target and two of them go in. So like there, there is a, a level um, of that, but there's, they really limited what Louisville was able to do, which really no one had been able to do to Louisville at home um, up until this point. So, yeah, I mean, for a Monterey Bay team, that's, that's been to- I mean, across the season, they've been under pretty, well, I don't know if scrutiny is even the right word. Like they've almost been written off kind of from the start. And, you know, a couple of these like big blowout losses, people weren't even really paying attention. And I think it's a huge credit to this squad for not just like lying down and going into Louisville and actually fighting and and putting in a hell of a performance to limit Louisville to 10 to 10 shots and and to come away with three points. It's there's not many teams this season that are going to be able to say that they came away from from Lynn with with anything to show for it. And I was looking back through a lot of the stuff. I think that was the largest loss Louisville has had at home at, since they've moved to Lynn's 
stadium. And if you want to go back to the largest home loss they've had since then, you have to go all the way back to 2018 when they played Toronto SC2 and lost 4-1 to at home. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> US, USL Heritage. I, a couple of things on that Monterey game, um, and we had a very smart comment here point out that um, they had seven straight games on the road. They basically were just inaugurating that new stadium. Um, if you're thinking about some of those blowout results, the common thread is that Monterey basically never had their first choice back line. And I kind of arrogantly posted, like I had written an article last week pointing out that Monterey might be a little bit better than people were thinking in terms of their defense. And uh, the key man has been Kai Green, where when he was in, I think they were like a net minus four goals over the course of like six or seven games, which is bad, but it's respectable. And then the moments where he was off the pitch, they were like minus 12 in three games or something absurd like that. They're just getting totally massacred. So he's come back into this back line that solidified things. They've been able to experiment with what they're doing with the midfielders and the forwards. And yet it was totally a grimy result with what they got out of Louisville. But at the same time, there's a bit of system and logic that's going into what's happening there. And it's reminiscent of, say, the Oakland Roots team from last season that started pretty disastrously, figured things out defensively, and was able to go on a playoff run. Do I see that for Monterey? No, because I don't think they're that good. But at the same time, they're going to be able to get some results of this caliber just because there is a logic to what they're doing. What's the takeaway from the Louisville side? Because obviously a couple of like rough results uh, over the last few games. So is this just a regression like they started they started out so strong that it's it's like it was unsustainable or was this a rotation thing like what do we chalk up these couple of these couple of stumbles from louisville to you have to go back to uh the third last and fourth last game for the last year's regular season and find the last time they lost two consecutive games and those were two road matches against Memphis and Indy 11. In fact, three occasions last year, they lost two games in a row. But uh, I think it's really down to what does Louisville do for their next game? I mean, they've now lost the lead at the top of the Eastern Conference, but it doesn't have as much more easier because you have Tulsa this week and then you have to turn around and play a now getting better Tampa Bay team. Yeah, if you're Louisville, I think you sort of just have to roll with the punches. Frankly, I'm kind of thinking they had their eye off the ball, just given the fact that they've got that Open Cup game tomorrow. Overall, the form is a little concerning. The fact that Memphis has overtaken them and Detroit has equalized with them isn't the best thing in the world. But you have this underlying awareness that you can kind of turn it on at any moment. And if you can recreate even 75% of the form you started the year with, you might just be the best team in the East going away. So you take solace in that, but certainly some points of concern just in the fact that you're allowing those goals and Kyle Morton's cooled down a little bit. And that when you've employed this back three, like they did late in the game, it's not been all that effective. At the same time, Cameron Lancaster made his debut. Getting him back is going to be huge for this team. 
So I think they're almost in this experimentation, put a focus on the open, what happens in the league, what is what happens in the league kind of perspective at this point. If they can make the last eight teams of the Open Cup, I think you trade that result against Nashville for a loss against Monterey Bay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that and and that's yeah, I would say that's totally fair given given the the start they got off to. At I mean, at some point I think we talked about ga- the Galaxy game being a little bit of like rotation and and some other like kind of weirdness. So this one, yeah, maybe a little bit of <laughs> as you said, eye off the ball. But um I guess like my my thing this week, you mentioned the teams that have caught Louisville in the East and, and maybe, maybe not something that I got wrong, but I I would say something that like a lot of us maybe didn't have was Detroit and Memphis being in these upper reaches of the East. Um, I think we've, you know, we've talked about Detroit and their approach and all those things like driving some of their consistency and them being able to cope with like having a small squad and stuff like that. But, Memphis being up there was especially given the, you know, the big blow they took in the off season, um, losing their top, their top scorer. Like that was something that I definitely did not see coming. So what's, what's gotten Memphis up in the, you know, up in the conversation at the top of the East. I'm, I really like the way that despite the fact that they lost Segbarius, they lost Kyle Murphy they retained a couple of pieces that were really key to what they did. If you think about what Ben Pierman was trying to get out of them stylistically, it was this possession-based, free-flowing kind of soccer. So you bring back Niall Logue uh, at the center back spot, who's a really good ball-playing kind of center back, who can initiate from the back in a way that's smart and controlled. You've got Laurent Casiadu doing his thing in the midfield, kind of roaming all over they added around that in a way that complemented those skill sets. So if you think about like Aaron Malloy moving back up to the championship from forward Madison, Jeremy Kelly, who they brought in from Phoenix, who hardly could get a game as a left back, suddenly becoming one of the most fearsome kind of cutting inside on his weak foot uh, wingers in the entirety of the Eastern Conference has been a joy for them. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Pierman at the end of the day, and I don't know who's running their transactions, but they added smartly, and they really got a good system in place for me. And if you look back to the end of last season, Memphis ended on a pretty good run of games after their last 11 games. They lost one of them and drew one other one. And if you go all the way back to 2018, that was the last time they had a 5-0 shutout win, and that was against Bethlehem Steel. So it seems like they've really started to turn it around this time and they're atop the Eastern Conference and uh, it seems like their form will continue. They have an Atlanta United 2 team, uh, sorry, Kaylor Birmingham team next, Hartford and Tulsa ahead. (laughs) Obligatory uh, Kaylor shouting his own team out as like automatic three points for other other teams. No, I, I... well, I think people in people in Detroit will relish the fact that a a former manager of theirs and a current manager of theirs are are leading uh, leading the Eastern Conference uh, right now with with Pyramid. Uh, but no, it's been um, I think it, I mean it's been good to see some 
of these uh you know i guess like if you want to say the 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 non-traditional powers reaching the reaching these these kind of uh these kind of heights and um so yeah definitely a surprise for me to see i mean memphis despite getting despite getting out possessed by loudon um i think like maybe showing a little bit of versatility too in their game you know in their game plan of saying like hey we want you know by default like we're gonna want to have the ball but if we're not gonna have the ball like we can still play we can play that game too and we can hit you on the break so um so yeah i i I do think that this memphis team like just seems seems like they've got some some great pieces to to move forward with and yeah that was my that was my big thing from the weekend was just those teams kind of getting into the conversation out east what do you make Uh, of detroit's next four games if you're looking at pittsburgh sacramento el paso and memphis as a real kind of just measuring stick for how Detroit's going to play for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think with Detroit, I think we're now at the point of the season where we can say, okay, like this Detroit team is, is good. Like when they have their first choice 11, they're, they are a very good unit. They're able to, they defend really well most of the time. And they, and they also pop up with some just really clutch goals. Antoine Hopeno has been, just great he's fit right in um but i guess like the one big the one big kind of elephant in the room with detroit is that they have 19 rostered players so the second that things like if there's an injury bug of any kind like a couple of their key guys go out it it starts to look really really thin um and i think that's where i worry about a stretch like that for detroit because all it takes is a guy turning a wrong way or whatever like we've seen other teams hit by the injury bug recently and maybe this is a little bit of my other my other bias with locomotive losing chapa herrera for the season um just bad luck on the turf so um that sort of stuff with such a with maintaining such a small squad, I think that's the only thing that makes me think like, is this Detroit team able to hang in there for the long haul? Like at the top of the East, like probably not. Will they make the playoffs? I think they, I think they're capable of it, but I think it's going to take some good luck for them to actually remain here because they're, they're just play with such a thin squad. I do want to give them credit in that they've, sort of tried to rectify that you saw them ring in diop at forward from birmingham who despite the fact that he's got a lot of hate from the legion fans for kind of being ineffective is serviceable if you just need that depth Um, i'm really high on carl wamet coming in from indy Um, just from that indy fan perspective like he made 100 appearances for the team he's been a rock solid player in the kind of lower leagues for a while and he's done well in detroit so far um, I was actually DMing with one of their uh, players, Detroit, who was kind of lamenting the fact that they couldn't pull it off and hold out for that win in Miami. They've got a chip on their shoulder where they feel like they really need to go out there and prove it with these next couple games to show that, yeah, we can handle it against Atlanta and Hartford and the teams that are lower down and kind of show that they're actually legit. So I'm really excited to see how things shake up over these up. Uh, next couple matchups because that's really four games that's like a murderer's row 
uh, when you think about even like Sacramento and El Paso, those are playoff teams. Pittsburgh, obviously tough. Memphis is the best team in the league by points right now. So going to be interesting there. I think you, you pointed out Ryan, but the, I think the one, the one thing that is hugely in their favor in that run is the fact that they aren't going to Sacramento or El Paso, which is, is big. Like, I mean, at any point in the season, I think we've seen, you know, whether it's the stuff with Phoenix, like with (laughs) traveling to Hartford and how that became like a huge issue, like any of this cross country travel for these teams is, is pretty brutal. So the fact that Detroit avoids going to the West coast and gets to, to welcome to Keyworth. I think that's, that is a big, a big advantage for, for them. They do have trips to Las Vegas and Monterey Bay in July ahead though. And everybody knows Vegas in July. That's when you want to be there. Just out in the, (laughs) just out in the heat. (laughs) Well, at this point it's looking like you don't want to go to Monterey at this home stadium against a team that can just sit in and annoy you for 90 minutes either. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to highlight from the weekend and with some of the news today is Indy 11. Uh, they got the win against New York Red Bulls too, which kind of is a given for anyone playing New York Red Bulls too at this point. But uh, more importantly, they got Solomon Asante to get 10 to 15 minutes. And then they lost their goalkeeper, Elliot Fanico, to a loan recall. So lots of kind of weird transactional things for them right now. There was a there was a conversation in in a El Paso locomotive themed group chat about the fact that you need to sign like if you're going to sign someone on loan at keeper, you need to sign them from a foreign MLS team. That way, like the recall would be so caught up in red tape that they, you know, in immigration and stuff that they wouldn't even bother. So um, so, yeah. That that's such bad luck, I think, for for you know, because a lot of USL teams have these sorts of deals set up, and especially when it's your starting goalkeeper, you're you're pretty reliant on the fact that that loan's going to last. Um, so yeah, I that is that is pretty bad luck for Indy, especially when they've just kind of they start to feel like they're they're really clicking and and not a dissimilar time frame to to Lowry's like. Uh, tenure in El Paso I would say like his first season it it didn't really start to click for you know until it got into the summer um, and so it was feel it's feeling like that but yeah losing losing Panico is a is it's a big blow for Indy for sure and it's four wins in their last five for Indy but I always I always have to think that with lower league loans, you have to assume that's the risk you're running by putting it at such a crucial spot. Like if you have them at say like a loaned midfielder, yeah, you could probably be serviceable and find a replacement. But if you're going to put it at such a crucial position, such as keeper, you have to assume, Hey, there's a risk. This guy might not be here for the entirety of the season. Yeah. And Indy to their credit, they, we're a week or two away from the start of the year, and they only had Alex Svetnov, who's a kid on a USL Academy contract. They got the Panico loan, and then right before the season started, they uh, acquired a guy named Tim Trilk from League One, who um, statistically doesn't seem like he's anything special, but he's someone who's done it in the professional context. So he looks like he'll slot in and 
Panica was one of the better goalkeepers in the league last season statistically, and he's sort of doing it again this year. So you're going to expect a downgrade. But I think it's to Indy's credit that they went out and got somebody who at least is going to be a decent performer, you would expect, but nonetheless tough. Um, pivoting to Asante, though, I just having watched him in those 15 or so minutes, um, and they were the context was weird because it was a two nothing game where he was asked to do a lot more defensively, but he really seemed to have his legs under him. He was there putting in those minutes, uh, showing a lot of heart with that work rate. His touch was very much rusty. Those one twos, those slick dribbling moves that he would always pull off in Phoenix weren't quite coming off. But the fact that he was showing that already is a good sign if you're an eleven fan. It's still, I I don't know. It still feels surreal that he's <laughs> that he's at Indy. I like <laughs> if it. It's hard to even like fully wrap my mind around the fact that he's that he's playing. Uh, and I almost, I almost think this is like the signing that this is like the dream signing that Lowry would have wanted to make, like having played, having come up against Asante so frequently, you know, in, in his first few years. So, um, no, it's good to see him back. I think he's, I think he's been, he's been such a fixture in the league, like let alone for Phoenix, but just for USL, I think he's like one in the same. So seeing him get back on the field, look like he's, you know, on his way back. And, and I think the rest of us are all just, kind of waiting you know like holding our breath seeing like what like what is the ceiling for like this year's version of of solomon asante and can he hit the heights um of of what he's done in phoenix and yeah like is this going to be you know is this going to be a true revitalization or is this the or is this the like the jordan wizard slash messy <laughs> psg years so you mean no, the messy it, inter years into Miami here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, unless you guys had more talking points with the championship, I did um, to the detriment of our good friend Gio, who's having a little bit of car trouble, want to point out that North Carolina beat Greenville one to nothing. Um, interesting kind of standings in League One right now where you're seeing so much parity. I put out this uh, XG table for League One where if you're thinking about like the chart where teams who are good in terms of not allowing goals and producing goals on their own end end up in like the top right of a chart, no one is there right now. Like this is a league where very much anybody can beat anybody in a given weekend. So just if anything stuck out from the league one or W league or whatever, feel free to raise that. I feel really bad. Cause I had tweeted out uh, prior to the weekend that Tormenta was my best team per the Evo ratings. And I said, this will please bolt in uh, South Georgia and they go out and lose four nil to central Valley Fuego. And now are no longer the best team in E ratings and have also dropped down to fourth in the table. So uh, both I apologize if that was a curse or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... by halftime, by the way, with Tormenta, like that was tough. Well, and <laughs> I know, I know it's his given name, but Villian Bijev feels so on 
brand because he has been a villain for so many of these teams <laughs> like he's he's just continues to to torment people no pun intended uh <laughs> tormenta especially a brace again and uh, yeah I, I mean john you mentioned it it feels like anybody can right. go out and beat anybody but there does there does seem to be something about this fuego team that in whatever game they're maybe underdogs or maybe thought like oh they're up against like a higher opposition whatever they do seem to go out and and Bijev in particular just seems to play with a chip on his shoulder in those in those games he's just blatantly too good for league one like it's not even a question at this point for me yeah and this league has gotten to the point of of parody like not just parody parity but parody for me because I jokingly picked Hailstorm to win against Charlotte because I looked at their last few games and they had been in they had won when they were in Carolina and like in the Carolinas and so that was why I picked them to beat Charlotte was well they're back in the Carolinas so they're gonna they're gonna win and that is the level of league one right now like it is your picks are that you know there is that much science behind it. It does not make that much sense. The teams that we think are very good are losing games that maybe we think they shouldn't. And the teams that we think were kind of like, ah, not as good are getting a lot of results that, you know, we thought that they wouldn't. So yeah, it's I, aside from Tucson, it's a very fun league to watch. <laughs> if you take away Tucson, there are eight points separating uh, first in the table, Charlotte to 10th in the table uh, forward Madison and I would always, uh, I'd love to look back at the end of the season to just track how many different teams shared at least like one day atop the table. And for like, how long has that streak just lasted throughout the entire season? That would be interesting. I did um, move on to Open Cup in a second here, but uh, I did want to point out that Charlotte, uh, they beat forward Madison one nothing, but they had five shots. Four of those shots came from outside of the box and they win one nothing. Like if that's not the most joke of a result that there is, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I did want to kind of talk about the open a little bit. We've got three teams from the USL in action, uh, kicking off with Louisville, Nashville, Sacramento has San Jose, and then Union Omaha have Minnesota United. Anyone got thoughts in those games? That's a uh, former Eastern Conference rematch of a really good uh, former USL rivalry that Louisville gets to host with Nashville. And I'm just happy that we have two USL teams hosting uh, their games, even uh, with Sacramento being the other one, hosting their former uh, MLS affiliate, quote unquote, with San Jose. I, uh, yeah, looking back, like, I, I like... I kind of like the Sac Republic San Jose matchup just in in yeah. in the sense that like San Jose has actually been in in like fine form like they haven't been bad by any stretch of the imagination and they've won a lot of games but they they're really chaotic and a lot of they get a lot of draws a lot of like kind of end to end games and that doesn't strike me as like it just strikes me as like, hey, they're maybe ripe for the taking in terms of Sacramento exerting a little control in the game, getting the ball down, playing a little bit, like having having the ability to to get a couple of goals and maybe maybe have an upset on on the cards. I think you know 
we've seen Minnesota be the graveyard of of USL Cup runs in the past, uh, and with little fanfare, like uh, New Mexico United went there and got absolutely shellacked in 2019, I think. So, so I'm not hopeful, I guess, in terms of Omaha going and pulling something off. But they, I mean, they went to Soldier Field and beat the Fire, so. I guess anything is anything is possible, um, but that that Sacramento San Jose game just strikes me as a as a that's a banana peel for San Jose in my opinion. Interestingly, they did play Sacramento in preseason friendlies, and that was a San Jose three 0 result. Yeah, so um, just given the work that I've been doing for Sacramento this year, I ended up watching like I was very busy last week in terms of like graduation, travel, and dealing with family. But I ended up watching like a comical amount of San Jose games whenever I could snatch a minute. They are very beatable. They're very reliant on Montero to kind of create everything offensively. I think they're susceptible to the way that Sacramento has been playing with their kind of 5-4-1 shape recently. I'm excited to see how that game shapes out. And I'm feeling pretty good about it for the Republic. But obviously, I've got a little bit of bias there. Honestly, I could see any of the USL teams pulling it off in these matches, which I think is a testament to why the Open is so much damn fun. Yeah, the Louisville game, I mean, looking at Nashville's just recent form and the way that the way that things have have shaken out for them, I don't think Louisville City need to go into that game like with any sort of inferiority complex or anything. I think I don't, you know, obviously there's levels and MLS is, is, you know, the higher league for the reason, for a reason, but, um, going into Lynn, I think if Nashville like stand up and just play Louisville, you know, openly, I think Louisville can absolutely get at them. (laughs) So, so yeah, yeah. Any of the, any of these games potentially winnable for sure. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see how those games shape out. Uh, I think it's a good time to move on to our picks for the week ahead, though. Um, And just to start out, we were initially going to go with that New Mexico Phoenix game from tonight and carry over the fact that all of us had picked Phoenix. Well, it's (laughs) the first half. Phoenix is rolling out basically a mix of subs and academy players, and they're down 4-0. So I'm going to say we just throw this thing out and claim COVID. But <laughs> um, we can add it to than, last yeah. week's poor results. Yeah, right. <laughs> the highest score from last week's picks was mine with a score of zero. Yeah. Yep. It was a good week. Hence why surprises were more than our I told you so's, I think. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> So taking games that aren't ravaged by a global pandemic, how about we go with Las Vegas Lights against El Paso, Ryan? This was one game that I was uh, just kind of looking back towards El Paso's results, and there's only one uh, road victory they've had all year against Loudon. But I felt like one time that right when I hit send on my picks, right when I saw Las Vegas, because that was the first one to submit, I was like, uh, I kind of regret this pick now. And I'm going to stick with it just to uh, stay alongside that. But uh, I'll go with Las Vegas, even though they've been the one team in the Western Conference right now without a win in their last five. Those are four draws that they've had there. And I feel like at 
some point we need to figure out with El Paso's road form, if they can get a result on the road, that's not against a team in the bottom four of the Eastern conference. And this is going to be a decent enough test with them playing a playoff side. So I'm going to back Las Vegas, but I'm either going to say I called this from the start or I'm going to admit that I had very little faith for them to get the job done to begin with. Yeah, Phil, how are you feeling about your boys? Yeah, I I have I have El Paso winning this. I think there's been a couple of a, a couple of the road results uh recently have been uh, have been a little unlucky, but I also am relishing the fact that this will be the first week uh, in a while where the team isn't playing three games in seven days. So I'm, I'm hoping with the, with the rest and crucially they're getting a couple of, you know, I talked about the injury bug hitting them, but they are getting a couple of pieces back seemingly. And we've seen pictures of, uh, of Emmanuel Sanupe who kind of burst on the scene in those first few games um, back in training. So hopefully he's, He's returning soon, and um, and I think too, Hutchinson's figured out a lot of the defensive frailties, which made Vegas at El Paso such a meme. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I I think El Paso see this one out. Yeah, so I had El Paso, and I had it as my lock for the week just to kick things off. And it's what you were talking about with if you think about like the second half of that game where El Paso just came out firing late on, combine that offensive spark where Hutchinson knows how to break down a pretty stifling Las Vegas team. And suddenly this El Paso side isn't giving up the goals. I'm feeling pretty good for the locomotive right now. Uh, Moving on from that, we've got Indy and New Mexico, the first time that those two teams are ever going to face off. So how are you feeling there, Ryan? I picked Indy 11. Uh, of course, we submitted these picks um, prior to learning that New Mexico is absolutely dominating a game tonight. But I just I looked at the last form from Indy 11. That's four wins in their last five. And uh, prior to tonight's game, New Mexico hadn't scored more than two goals in a match up till this point in the season. And I still feel like the loss of uh, Paneco and goal is going to hurt, but I feel like Indy 11 can definitely get the job done just based off of their form. And Asante may very well play more than a short 10 minute cameo at the end of the match. So I'm backing them to win. Yeah, I went with Indy as well. And I think a lot of it has to do with New Mexico having to go to Indy. Um, I would have said probably a draw um, if Indy were were going to Albuquerque. But um, I think the, by virtue of being at home and being in, in good form, they've they've figured things out. And this is a little bit of a historical grudge match a little bit. You know, despite it not being a derby by any stretch of the imagination, it kind of is for Mark Lowry. So um so yeah, I think Indy have the have the edge here um, based on their their recent form and and with uh, New Mexico having to make the trip out. Yeah, I went draw here, despite the fact that Indy has been playing well. They've done it against basically the weakest schedule that you could draw up. Um, in his last game against New Mexico, Asante did get two assists. Obviously, that was with like a high powered Phoenix Rising side. New Mexico has the luxury that despite the fact that they're traveling, uh, they're going to be able to rest some players in the second half tonight against Phoenix. (laughs) So I'm thinking that might give them a little bit of something. So I see these teams kind of canceling each other out. 
Uh, moving on from that one, though, we'll go down to the other side of the Louisville Indianapolis Proximity Association football contest and get to uh, Louisville against Tulsa. I think it's really important with just how does Louisville respond after these past two defeats? We'd spoken about it earlier in the show that it's really crucial that they just don't let their heads drop, that you almost right off the last two games that you had, and this is a very perfect time to do it against. You're going up against a Tulsa team who doesn't have a single result away from home this year. That's five losses. And if you're looking at those preceding five games, that was 1-0 Charleston, 2-1 Sacramento, uh, 3-1 Tampa, 3-1 El Paso, and 5-1 Orange County. It's progressively getting worse for them on the road. So I feel like it's a chance for Louisville to really have a rebound in form at home. And they may be coming off the high of a very good Open Cup result, or it may be a very grueling 120-minute match tomorrow night. But I still feel like Louisville has more than enough to get the job done and get the win. Yeah, I think a te- this this game feels like a, a test of of mentalities because um, Louisville coming off a couple of tough results with the Open Cup coming up against a Tulsa side that's trying to rebound from kind of the embarrassing result of the weekend. Like, I mean, there's really no there or of the last the last couple of weeks um, against Orange County. Like, they're still recovering from that. So, I think. I think I I have Louisville winning this. I have it as my lock, and that's partially because I'm trying to do Tulsa a favor because I picked them against Orange County, and clearly I we all did. We all picked Tulsa against Orange County, and it didn't go so hot. So I'm thinking either I'm dead on and Louisville get a solid win at home, which I think we're all expecting, or I've done Tulsa a favor by making them my lock and Tulsa go and get an unlikely win to, to compound Louisville's miseries. So either way, this is a, this is a, you know, a no brainer pick for me because I can claim that I was helping somebody. And to add on to that, Kaylor and Allen both had Louisville as lock picks as well. Okay. Well, <laughs> Alan has to, Alan, Alan's in this love hate with Tulsa. So well, I also went Louisville, and I th- I think we're all in agreement on that, but I do just want to throw in that I think I might be the last human left on the Tulsa bandwagon. They're a team over these last two years that has constantly been missing their best players between international duty with central various Central American nations, lots of injury luck that's not gone their way. When they have their best 11 that's one of the more talented teams in the conference and they never have their best 11. So they're going to lose this game, but like shout out Tulsa for, I mean, doing the right thing, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, if I have any, whatever, you know, Louisville, maybe they're coming off a, a, a long open cup game. You know, if I can offer any advice, just, bait Tulsa into an early red card and it's smooth sailing from there. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, staying eastward though, we've got a matchup of a hot Miami team against a Rivertown side that kind of, as I mentioned, doesn't really do it against kind of the top end teams in the East. So I think that's an interesting one to think about, Ryan. 
I think it certainly is. If you're definitely looking at a Miami team who has more wins away from home than they do currently at home. In fact, at home, they struggle to score multiple more than two goals in a match. It seems like their best performance did come against uh, Charleston. But you're also looking at a Pittsburgh Riverhounds team who has gone winless away from home all the way back to April 9th when they beat Tolson, a 4-3 to thriller of a game. But I think this is going to be a potentially low-scoring affair. You saw that it took Detroit a lot to get that one goal, and then they gave up the draw at the very end of the match there. So I think this is, could be a very low-scoring draw. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I think I'm kind of like, as we've been talking, I've been like regretting my, my Riverhounds pick, but I, I do think, I do think these are the sorts of games where, especially against a team like Miami that has been, has been in good form. I think they can be still, I, I, they still seem capable of being frustrated because it had, it hadn't really been clicking for them uh, up until, you know, the last couple of games. So yeah, I think, uh, I'll I'll say that I'll say that you know that Lily Ball Jean gets gets found and and Pittsburgh get get the win um, down in Miami. Yeah, I went draw with this one, influenced by the fact that it is in Miami. That uh, um, Miami's playing well. Pittsburgh has a tendency to be a little bit weaker against teams that can control the middle of the pitch. So think about Speedy Williams, Zach and Yode, Florian Velo. This seems like a game where maybe the teams cancel each other out. I could see a sort of grindy result where Pittsburgh really controls the run of play, but just can't quite get it over the line. So draw. Uh, switching conferences, we've only got, I think, one true Western game this week. Oh, no, we had the Vegas one. But uh, we've got a Texas matchup with uh, RGV and San Antonio here. San Antonio with uh, Colorado Springs um, potentially having their game against Monterey Bay this week could have an opportunity to take sole possession of the Western Conference this year or this week with a win, which would be huge. They're within uh, four wins in their last five, and they're a very solid team to play at home. If you take out that Phoenix uh, loss they had in April, they have three shutout victories in your Last few results they had at home was the 6-0 over Monterey Bay and the 1-0 against El Paso. I think RGV is going to be a very stellar and very difficult team to go up against, though, because you have to go all the way back to March 23rd against Los Dos when they didn't score in a match. But I'm going to take that San Antonio will be up for the match. They're going to be ready to get first place in the Western Conference, and I will lock my pick on San Antonio winning. Yeah, I, I'm not uh, discounting the what what RGV's been able to do by any stretch, but I do think this San Antonio side like just has been. They always seem to, even when teams come in in you know confident form or something like that, they always find a way to stick a branch in the spokes. And so I think San Antonio again just have this this rgv side stumble um and it's likely going to be close i could see it easily being another you know a one nil something like that um but the san antonio team has has a way of getting these these type of results so um so yeah i have san antonio winning it yeah i've got a draw pick and i'm just regretting it horribly right now <laughs> i i'm rgv 
when they're able to do their thing, it's against teams that are going to try to possess the ball, going to play in this set sort of system. They're not very strong facing a counterattacking side. And San Antonio is like bread and butter, the best counterattacking team in the USL. If I'm envisioning a scenario where they do get a goal, it's going to be unleashing Dylan Borkjak in transition. It's going to be working through their fullbacks and having something a little bit greasy. So, and I think they get a little bit of an edge from being at home and facing a team that's had a little bit of time off with the COVID whatnot going on. So going draw, not feeling great about it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> which is, I guess, me every single time I pick in these games. But <laughs> I'm also not feeling great about any of my picks because I have been horribly wrong all season. So <laughs> yeah, if, if you're a betting man, bet against whatever our consensus is and you're going to be doing well for yourself. Yeah. Uh, that said, we do have a couple League One games to get to, starting out with a little bit of a coastal derby here with North Carolina and Richmond. North Carolina is currently within uh, fifth place of the standings with Richmond at six with nearly identical form. If you take away, um, yeah, they have uh, five points over the last five games for Richmond and six points over there, or sorry, seven points over the last five games for North Carolina. NCFC has actually not been shut out in a game yet this year. Richmond, aside from their 4 0 win over Tucson has been a rather just kind of low scoring team right now. I think NCSC gets the job done at home with a win. Yeah, I actually, I have this down as a draw. Um, Richmond. It's really strange watching this Richmond team struggle because I think we all were kind of thinking at the beginning of the season, like, man, this, this team, a lot of the, the names in this team feel almost too good for this level and it just hasn't come together for like, there were a lot of guys that I thought were going to get picked off by championship sides uh, in the off season that, that weren't, they were retained and it just hasn't added up to anything. So um, yeah, with them in North Carolina, I just have it, it kind of petering out like similar to Richmond's game against, against uh, Omaha, like a one, one, you know, somewhere in there where neither team is really able to like truly like get the upper hand. Yeah, North Carolina, um, they're the only team in my XG data set that's below average in terms of expected goals for and expected goals against. So naturally, I predicted them to win this one because League One is weird <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think you could see like Adrian Servania kind of nab something, a little bit of moment of magic type of thing. I do believe in Richmond, and I think over the course of the year, they're going to prove themselves to be one of the better sides across the division, but just kind of feeling Carolina here. Uh, Stan Southern, we've got Chattanooga against Greenville, though, so something close to Geo's heart. And if we're going to talk about uh, League One being weird like that, uh, Chattanooga is uh, a very decent team enough at home, but their one loss at home is to Tucson. And that was a Tucson team that scored three goals against them in that time. And although I will say Chattanooga does have the opportunity to at least tie the top of the table with a win right here. But uh, I'm thinking just like with how crazy League One has been, I will pick against uh, what I think should 
what I think might happen with Chattanooga and that Greenville picks up their first road victory of the year with a win this weekend. Yeah, I have I have Greenville winning this as well for similar reasons. Like it did it just to, or, you know, the Tucson result really felt it feels like an anomaly in many ways. But the but Chattanooga have just been kind of all over the place. And like, despite being despite being very good overall, um, they just are prone to these weird to these weird results. And I think Greenville take advantage. Plus, got to make up for the fact that, you know, Geo not able to uh, to make it tonight. So I've got to, you know, carry the. So we've got to carry the flag in his absence. Yeah, Chattanooga, they're coming off of basically two weeks off because of scheduling things. Uh, Carrera in the midfield's coming off of a red card, so they're missing a key player there. Greenville's been a side that's just been snake bit a little bit where they're out shooting opponents and they're just not getting it. So I think they go on the road and get this result. Um, Omaha is going to be in action again after their Open Cup game, and they're facing Northern Colorado. They're at home for this. So how are you feeling, Ryan? I think that Open Cup game definitely has to play a role within this match. Uh, I mean, for just League One teams, you're not sure how many other chances you'll have to get to the last eight of the U.S. Open Cup, and you really have to take advantage of this chance. Even if it's going up against a tough Minnesota team away from home, they really have to, like, play their strongest lineup for it. And I think that will go to the detriment of this game against Northern Colorado. It's a Northern Colorado team who this is their last match before their official home opener. And like in CFC, they've scored in every single game they've had to start the year. I'm not sure if you could find odds on that, but if you would have bet that they would have scored in their first six games this season all the way from home, I'm sure that would be pretty long odds. And that's why I think... Northern Colorado, they'll want to have the momentum going into that home opener, and they beat a Union Omaha team at uh, in Nebraska. I I went with a draw for this, and I I kind of contribute some of this to like some tired Omaha legs combined with some fatigued like more big picture fatigued Northern Colorado players who have just been they've been on the road, you know for the whole entire start of the season. And I think not, uh, you know, in, in the same way, Ryan, that you, you know, they want to enter this homestand with some momentum, I think at, on the, on the same, you know, or the, the same side, the opposite side of the same coin is maybe they exit this long road trip with a little bit of uh, tired legs. And so I think it, it plays out to a, not drab, but maybe a, maybe a, a little bit of a, a less exciting draw in, in Omaha. Having watched a couple of these Northern Colorado games, there's something about this team where I'm just not quite buying in. And I definitely think that Omaha is going to pour their heart out in the open and come into this one a little fatigued, but I think being at home helps them. And I think that when you get down to it, they are one of the stronger sides in the division. So I went with Omaha winning the day here. Uh, one more matchup to hit from League One again, and that would be Central Valley, the Fuego hosting Ford Madison. I would expect that we see more than just a football manager-esque performance for Fuego this time out against Madison than their previous meeting. 
you're looking at a Central Valley Fuego team that's tied with Charlotte and Chattanooga right now on goal scored at 13 and a Ford Madison team that's at the other end, second bottom of the league at just six goals. Um, I I think it'll be interesting. This uh, opens up a Central Valley Fuego uh, three-game homestand, and they go up against Chattanooga and Tucson following it. So I'm going to take uh, Fuego to win this match over uh, Ford Madison. As uh, a supporter of a team that's, you know, gone to Fuego and felt the felt the wrath, <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, no, I think I think Central Valley come away with a I I think this is a pretty comfortable win to be honest and I think um yeah villain villain Bijev will be at the at the center of doing you know doing his villain things um and uh yeah I and credit to like as they open up because I guess this is you know we're now into they're in their true venue and all that stuff the support for Fuego has been pretty impressive in the early days so um so yeah, I think they're going into a little bit of a, a cauldron out there as well, Madison. So yeah, I think Fuego see this one out pretty pretty comfortably, if I had to guess. Yeah, this is one where I kind of changed courses when I went back and uh, when I forgot to do my lock and I ended up changing things around a little bit. But um, I, I, Forward Madison is another team where you watch them play, you look at the shot totals and the XG, and they should be doing better than what has been the result so far. And yet you think about how strong Central Valley has been with some of these dominating results. They're starting this home stretch. I think Madison is going to right the ship sooner rather than later, but this isn't going to be the week for it. So I went with Central Valley. And with that, I think we have wrapped up all of our picks for the week. Um, so just as a little bit of rubbing salt in the wound, I realized that with the result tonight, uh, Phoenix is dropping below the Mendoza line and has a negative goal differential, which is just completely hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> like wow. Mitchell, Who would have United guessed? finishing on equal goal differential. <laughs> so good. But in any event, I'll go ahead and throw it to you, Ryan. Any final thoughts, stray things, non-soccer, et cetera? Uh, I'm sure everyone had saw it on Twitter for you, but at least I wanted to give another congratulations on air for you for uh, graduating this weekend at uh, Yankee Stadium in front of a commencement speech from Dr. Taylor Swift as well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, to be in the presence of such an academic was really a pleasure. <laughs> That, I mean, where, wait, wait, and it was at Yankee Stadium? So, yeah, so graduated from NYU, where the all-university graduation ceremony was at Yankee Stadium. And then I specifically got my degree from the business school, so I got to go to MSG for that. So kind of hitting up all the real uh, big spots. And I'd never actually been to Madison Square Garden before, so that was cool for me. Uh, was the pitch big enough for a graduation or <laughs> at Yankee Stadium? No. Nah. <laughs> yeah, Did you see the famous NYCFC banner? <laughs> not a prayer, but there's, I, I don't know if anyone's like seen a Yankees game where they've got that big 10 ad on the, uh, was like foul line wall. Like that thing was standing out like nobody's business. <laughs> but yeah, not, not a sign of NYCFC. You would never know. 
which yeah. says a lot, I guess. Yeah. Well, they've won a title there more recently than the Yankees have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mean but true. Yeah, Phil, any straight thoughts? Um, well, n- nothing non-soccer related because uh, it is the Champions League final this week. Yes. And and uh, as a Liverpool fan, I so my uh, my sister and brother-in-law are coming out and visiting um, this weekend. So I'm subjecting them to a... I was like, hey, this is like we're going to watch it. My sister's a Bayern fan, so it's not like... It's not like she's disconnected from the sport or anything like that. But um, I was like, hey, just so you know, Saturday is Champions League final day. And we're going to do like, you know, we're going to like treat it like the Super Bowl kind of, you know, like grill, do like, at, you know, just like food and stuff and just kind of make a whole make a whole thing of it. And hopefully that distracts me enough to not have, you know, a severe panic attack and memories of Loris Carius 20, 2018. So. So, yeah. Yeah, no, good shout. Sounds like a good time. I wish that was like more of a thing for big soccer games, honestly. I'd recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Um, did quickly just want to, I'm keeping it to soccer, shout out my boy uh, and Ryan's boy as well, Hungman Son, for getting in there with a big weekend for himself. Tottenham getting that Champions League spot. Big for a club that kind of has been up and down for the past couple of years. So making me happy there. And it's Kenobi week too. Oh, yes. Lest we forget. Wow. A lot going on. Yeah. If you don't stand, you and McGregor, you don't belong in the audience of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I can't think of a better note to end on. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a good way to wrap it up. So thank you to everyone who joined live. Thank you to everyone who's listening back in the podcast version. Uh, I still don't know how to do the proper, like fancy ending thing. So just going to be sudden here, but thanks again. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>